Hey everyone, this is Matt with another Overflow Pod in our series on the habits of happiness. One of the bad things that we have that can stifle happiness in our lives is what I like to call looking forward syndrome. Looking forward syndrome is when, say, you're in college and you're like, I can't wait to get out of college and start my real life and then I'll be happy. Or when I finish high school, or when I get married, or when I have a baby, or when my kids leave the house, then I'll be happy. Instead of just enjoying the time that you have. My daughter, Adriana, started this when she was seven. Seven! She was like, I can't wait till the weekend. I was like, well, what about today? She was like, today's awful. I can't wait till the weekend and I can go over a friend's house, or so-and-so's coming here, or we're going out to dinner, or whatever it was. It was never enjoying life in the moment, but rather looking for some forward to something. Right now, Jeanette is my wife is in Disney World having a nice, relaxing solo vacation without me or the kids. And her plane tickets, I love to brag about this, they were like $19 each way. Thank you, Avello, for coming to Delaware and taking up on our little tiny airport that's only 20 minutes away from my house. So it's sweet. She's camping, which is her favorite, which is also really inexpensive. And she has an annual pass to Disney. So all she's got to worry about is food. I highly suggest every mom to go out there and get away from home (laughs) to give time to refocus and re-energize their lives because they deserve it. They deal with, oh, I I can't even imagine. And every husband out there should encourage this. But part of me wants to be there with her. I mean, we're going to eventually retire there. We love the warm weather. My wife and I love theme parks. I mean, there's Disney, Universal, Harry Potter, SeaWorld, Busch Gardens, Gator World. I mean, come on, Gator World. Icon Park. And even next year, Super Mario World. Oh, yeah. But that's not for like 10, 15 years. But I wish it were now. But what about the next 10 to 15 years? When we fall into looking forward syndrome, we miss out on the joy of today. I mean, for my wife and I, the kids will only be home for five years. Actually, my oldest is in her last year of high school. Our middle child has three years to go and our youngest has five. Then the house will be empty. They'll all be at college and in five years, my oldest will be out getting a job somewhere, maybe even living far, far away. Looking forward syndrome is a trap to rob you of happiness today. On top of that trap, there's also some barriers to happiness that we need to really dissect in our lives. Because if you have one of these barriers, you can't feel happy. And you can guess, if I was to guess you, what are one of the barriers to happiness? Almost always you're going to think of pain. And you're right. When you're in pain, you can't be happy. Last year when we were decorating for Christmas, which is like the best time of the year, my wife pulled down a box of lights and her arms went over her shoulders and we're blazing Christmas songs and having a good time. And well, she hurt her shoulder. She does that all the time when she reaches up and carries stuff real high. So we got to remember that this year. And it was nothing but ice packs and massages and the joy just left the room. The first barrier that we can have to happiness in our life is pain. The second barrier is irritating people. <laughs> you have any of those in your lives? People who are demanding, uncooperative, arrogant, and they can kill your joy as fast as pain? 
I was at the DMV a, a couple months ago getting my car inspected for the next two years. So I go through inspection. Everything's fine. It's working out. I go up to the mobile window where you could put your stuff in and, and pay. And I wait and wait and wait some more. And then a voice comes over and says, we can't process your payment. I ask why. I mean, it's my credit card. Is something wrong with my credit card? She says, no, the, the name on the credit card doesn't match the name on the license. I was like, huh? I said, yes, it does. And she responds, no, it doesn't. I said, the name on my license says Raymond Matthew Mancini. Raymond was my dad's first name, and he wanted to carry it on. And I always go by my middle name, Matt. On the credit card, it says R. Matthew Mancini. She says, well, the name is different. I don't even know how to respond to this. My car is 16 years old. So that means for the fact I've done this at least five times. The first six years were paid at the dealership. Then every two years after that, I've done the same thing. And I've used the same name on my credit card since my very first card over 30 years ago. And this is the first time in over 10,000 times of using my credit card that someone ever questioned it. So I went inside, having to wait in line again at the DMV, which is got to be the worst place on the planet and i got up there and i asked for a supervisor and they were adamant that they couldn't do it and this point it's been going on for over two hours and eventually the supervisor told me that i could use the machine that they got and then it would work i then looked at her like she was crazy because you're telling me you can't do it but the automotive automated machine right behind me can do it that makes no sense. So I go over to the machine, put in all the information, pay for it, nothing happens. Way to go, technology. Of course, I don't have any cash. I don't carry a debit card on me. My house is 30 minutes away. And at this point, I'm barely hanging on to sanity. So I realize I can just take cash out from the bank, which is only five minutes away. So I get in my car, I head down to Wisfis and go in. And tell her, ask me, how am I doing today? And I said, terrible. And he looked at me, he goes, go on. And he was like, I got nobody here. You got plenty of time. And I just looked at him like, You're okay. And I just unloaded and vented. He laughed hysterically. He said, dude, you made my day. And I just shook my head. I guess another person's pain is your pleasure. He was like, he said, darn right. If it happened to me, I would be cursing him out. <laughs> but it happened to you and you're telling me about it. And... The, the teller was awesome and there literally was nobody in the bank. And so we had this like 20 minute conversation about what went on and he cheered me up, got me my cash and sent me on my way. That guy was phenomenal. I wish I could give him like a compliment or some kind of saying, man, this don't ever go away from personal banking. I mean, that guy was just amazing. So I get back into the DMV and of course I have to wait in line again. I go up. To a new register, it's a new guy. And I am so thankful that it is not the same person. He gives me a big smile, which is super rare at the DMV. He must have just started his shift. <laughs> he Or he must have just, just started the job because he wasn't jaded. And he begins to process my information. Since it's somebody new, I decide to try to use my credit card. No issue. He runs it. He's about to run it. But then he said, wait a second, this has already been approved and issued. He was, you were here earlier, and I explained everything. And he said, no, the machine didn't work. You need to go check the machine for the paperwork, and hopefully it's there and someone didn't steal it. 
He goes, which machine did you use? I told him which one it was. He goes, oh, that machine is slightly broken and you have to reach way back into the machine where you think you're like going up into its innards and pull it out. He goes, trust me, it should be there. Hopefully, if someone didn't take it again. So I went over there and I stuck my arm up there. Sure enough, I grabbed that piece of paper, had my thing on it. I turned around, I looked at the guy, held up my paper. He gave me a thumbs up. I waved, he waved and smiled, and I went on my way. The three-hour saga that the irritating people removed my joy was finally over. That's a barrier <laughs> to happiness. Third barrier is pressure. Pressure can cause you to lose your happiness. You can have pressure from within yourself, or you can have it be around you. It can be internal, like I'm getting married, and I'm nervous, and I'm scared, or it can be external. We're about to buy a home. Fourth barrier is problems. Problems can quickly remove your joy, like losing your job or getting into an accident. These can all kill joy. And Paul talks about these four in verses 12 through 30 of Philippians chapter 1. But no matter what these four things going on in Paul's life, they don't take away his happiness or joy, which I need to learn because irritating people and pressure and pains and problems they really do take away my happiness on a daily basis. So I want to remind you all that Paul wrote Philippians, the happiest book in the Bible, while he's in prison in Rome. In fact, the last four years of Paul's life have gone like this. Before he wrote the happiest book in the Bible, he spent two years in jail in Caesarea on the Mediterranean Ocean on the way to Rome. He ends up in a desert island in the Mediterranean. He's stranded there with some people. And while he's there, there's some poisonous snakes on the island and he actually gets bit by it. Then he's imprisoned again for another two years in Rome with a guard chained to him 24 hours a day. He has no privacy. He's in prison with a Praetorian guard because he was such an important prisoner chained to him 24 hours a day like he was a flight risk or something. And Paul has every reason to be bitter. He has every reason to be unhappy. He's every reason to be depressed and have a pity party, but instead, he writes Philippians, a book on happiness and joy. Verse 12 through 26 says, I now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am here, put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better by far, but it is far more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, 
so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Now that's a very warm personal note that about Paul's writing. This is a personal book. He's writing it to his friends in the church of Philippi that he started. And, he, and in this passage, he covers four different killjoys. And he talks about how he's dealt with them and how he's maintained happiness in spite of everything in going in ways he hadn't planned. And the key to this passage is in the next couple of verses, in 27 to 30, which says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe him, but also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. In these last few verses of the chapter, we learn to be happy no matter what happens, given the circumstances. And he gives us the foundation of that, to be happy and joyful no matter what, because of the gospel of Christ, which is that Jesus died for you, took away you, took your place, bore your sins and punishment, gave you a place for all eternity with Jesus. When we ask God to forgive us, we give our lives to him, all of our past, present, and future wrongs are wiped away. We begin a new life in Jesus and look forward to an eternity without pain and suffering with him in heaven forever. And we can learn to be happy no matter what happens, no matter the circumstances. But how do we do that practically each day? Paul gives us four ways we can do that. First, look at every problem or difficulty from God's point of view. You see, happy people have a larger perspective of life. They see a big picture. And when we don't have the big picture... When we don't see it from God's point of view, we can get discouraged, frustrated, unhappy at the slightest of things. The truth is, no matter what's going on in your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, God's working out a plan. He even takes all of our mistakes, and he even puts those into the plan. God can use them too. My sins? Yep. My faults? Yep. What other people do? Yep. God says, I can fit it all into the plan. You ever follow a trial and then the case doesn't go the way you thought it should go and the guilty go free? We get outraged. We get upset. Switch to God's view. And Paul knew this. So he starts that in verse 12. And he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. You see, ever since Paul had become a Christian on the road to Damascus, he had dreamed one great dream. And that was this. I want to preach in Rome. Rome is the center of the world. So Paul's dream is to share in Christ at the center of the world. God had another idea. Paul, you're going to be a prisoner, a royal prisoner of Caesar. Anybody know who was Caesar at that point? Nero. You ever heard of that guy? Nero was about as bad and wicked as you can get. So Paul's a prisoner of Nero. And as a royal prisoner with a royal guard chained to him 24 hours a day, he gets to talk to all kinds of key people. All kinds of guards he would never otherwise talk to. Official Roman citizens. Because he is an important prisoner. He's chained 24 hours a day to a palace guard for two years. They change that guard every four hours or so. That means he had access to 4,380 guards. But maybe they didn't get a completely new guard every four hours. Probably cycled through maybe maybe 1,000 guards. 
So Paul's talking to a lot of Caesar's guards. Maybe every single guard in the prison took a, took a, took a turn. God says, this is my plan. You want to go on a big city crusade, but I'm going to put you in prison. And there were two results of it we know for sure from history. Chapter 4 will tell us that within two years, some of Nero's own family had become believers because Paul was a prisoner in Rome. Some of the royal family had become Christians because Paul was in prison. Could Paul have ever had that happen if he just went out to preach in Rome? Probably not. And second, Paul was, Paul was hard to sit down and stop moving. He liked to move. But he was forced to sit down. He had nothing to do in prison, so he wrote a lot of the New Testament, which would have had a bigger impact, going on a missionary journey and planning a church or two in Rome, or be forced to sit day after day and write Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. That's a lot of the New Testament. And this is why Paul says, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that even though this has happened to me, being in prison has helped spread the good news. He says, I've got my plan, but God has a bigger one. And I can be happy because I can see what God is doing through my problem because of the larger perspective. Think of a problem you're facing. Why not just turn it over to God and ask him to give you his viewpoint on the situation? Ask God to help you see the problem from his perspective. Ask God to give you eyes of faith to see the situation clearly. And anytime you have a problem and it starts to get you down, you're starting to be unhappy, you need to do what Paul does and learn to see it from God's perspective. So when you face the problem in faith, two things can happen. First, it's a witness to unbelievers. Look at verse 13. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else, I'm in chains for Christ. It means I didn't do anything to be here. I'm in chains because I am preaching the message of Jesus and I'm being persecuted. And he witnessed to all those guys in the change. And it's a witness to unbelievers. Two, it's an encouragement to believers in Jesus. Verse 14, the next verse. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's a witness to unbelievers. It's an encouragement to believers. Have you ever thought that God might want to use a problem that you're going through right now for the very same reason? When I was younger... The biggest problem I went through for five years, probably the only problem I had for five years of my life was that my parents divorced. And now I look back on it, it shaped me into the person I am. It changed how I relate to others. It changed the way I viewed others. It made me not want to, it made me want to cherish relationships. It made me, first it took away all ability to love and then it gave me back so much more. And all these things over the pain that I fought against that I didn't want to go through. But it is precisely because of that experience is of the person I am today, the father I am to my kids, and the husband I am to my wife. And it helps me to love my wife as much as I do. Because if not, I don't think I would ever have the relationships that I have today. So what problem is it that right now you wish you would not have to go through because it hurts? Wouldn't it be amazing to say like Paul did that all this has happened to be worked out for the furthering of the good news? Have you ever thought that might be true of the problem in your life? If you just look at it from that way, it's going to change your perspective in a major way. That it can be an encouragement to believers and a witness to non-believers. 
And if you look at it from that way, it's going to change your perspective. And maybe, just maybe, even when circumstances in your life are really crappy, we can still be happy. Yeah, I really worked hard on that line. Not really. It just came out and it's kind of cringy, but I'm going to leave it in there. So when circumstances are crappy, we can still be happy. So whatever it is, whether it's pain, problems, irritating people or whatever, happiness does not depend on your circumstances. Well, I hope that encourages you today. God bless and I'll see you next pod as we look at three more reasons we can be happy no matter what is going on with our lives.